kind of blurry. That's better. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Fact. Bears eat beets. Oh. Bears. Beets. Battlestar Galactica. Bears do not... What is going on? What are you doing? Last week, I was in a drugstore, and I saw these glasses. Uh, $4. And it only cost me $7 to recreate the rest of the ensemble, and that's a grand total of... $11. You know what? Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, so I thank you. Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! Oh, man. What's up, Vineyard? How's it going? Anybody ever wanted to do that to someone before? (laughs) Anyone ever irritate you so much you just want to do the exact same things back to them? Are they sitting next to you right now? (laughs) Don't answer that. My name is Luke. I'm one of the young adult pastors here at this church. Um, Really excited to share with you this morning. So last night, there was a birthday party for my roommate, Gene, at our house. About 30 people over there. And what that meant is I didn't get to bed until after midnight. And then for some ungodly reason, I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning and could not fall back asleep. So I say that this message might not be good, <laughs> or maybe that was God waking me up early to uh, prime the pump. We'll, we'll go with that scenario. So anyways, before we do anything else, remind you, we've been, we've been in this series called The Prosperous Soul, and it's our second freedom project. Did one last year, got real freedom, a bunch of cool stuff happened. Before I go any further, we're going to hand out our Freedom Project cards. So ushers, you can come forward. We had these really, someone from the church had these really cool cards made that have a concept on them each week about freedom and a verse on the back that discusses that concept. So we wanted to give everybody one, give the ushers a second to do that. I also heard that last service there were like strobe lights behind me for the first minute, but I guess we're good today. Was anyone in here to see that? Yeah, they said that Will told me he was like, dude, no one was listening to you at all for the first minute because apparently these lights back here were just like flashing. So we've been in the Freedom Project and goal, the big kind of point of all of this is Last year, we identified that as a church, there was this spirit of scarcity that was trying to influence us. Spirit of scarcity, if you haven't heard that before, it kind of goes like this. There's never enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough energy. There's not enough resources. There's not enough sleep to do what God is calling me to do. And so before I can do what I know God is putting on my heart to do, I have to take care of this issue. I have to get enough. I have to store up enough. And it's always, there's always this fear of lack. 
And we broke that last year off of the church. There is no more, there's no longer a spirit of scarcity here. And um, instead, there is freedom to trust that there's always enough in the kingdom. That if God is calling us to do something, we can trust him. That there's always going to be enough time, money, energy, resources, everything to do those things. And so what this Freedom Project is about is about learning how to walk in that freedom. How to to take hold of that and take advantage of the freedom that God has given us. And what what I really want to focus on this morning is freedom from insecurity through complete and utter security in Christ. How many of you know that when Jesus died on the cross, yes, he died so that we could receive forgiveness of sins, but that's not it. He died for so much more than that on the cross. You know that? I mean, I'm sure a lot of us can think of that person or maybe that preacher before who would say something like, I thank Jesus for dying for me because he forgave me for my sins and now I can go to heaven. But while I'm still here on the earth, I'm this like pathetic, weak worm. I can't do anything that God wants me to do. I'm disobedient. I'm just terrible, you know? Anyone ever heard that kind of false sense of humility before? It's kind of like there's this strange idea that I've had before myself where I'm like, the more that I put myself down and talk about how terrible I am, the more glory and honor I'm giving to God. You ever heard that before? (laughs) And what father or mother likes to hear their kids talking about how much they suck? You know, (laughs) like it's kind of ridiculous. And so point in saying all that is that Jesus didn't just die so that we could barely skate by and get into heaven after we die. He died so that heaven could be put into us. We could be made righteous. We could live in the kingdom. We could live as sons and daughters of God and be free in every way. And one of the things that Jesus died for us to be free from was insecurity Man, insecurity is a pretty ugly thing. I know that when I, it's really crazy. When I, when something happens or someone says something that makes me feel insecure, this really peculiar thing will happen. I will be my normal self, thinking normal in my normal way, acting my normal way, and then boom, something will be said or done. And all of a sudden this insecurity will well up in me and I'll start like being a completely different person. Anyone ever experienced that before? Like after that happens, after you say this or do this, you're like, man, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that. Like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Well, the reason is that that is what insecurity does. It, when our security is founded on something other than Christ, Once we feel that security shaken within us, we like go into survival mode and we're like, I'm just, I got to do whatever it takes to get that sense of security back. I got to say whatever it takes. I got to think however I need to think. I have to, I just have to get back to that place of security. And usually it's a cycle because if you're going through that process in the first place, it's probably not Jesus that I'm going to for security. So he died to free us from that whole thing. You all know we can live 
as sons and daughters of God, completely free from insecurity. Like we can live in such a way that no matter what is happening externally, internally is not being shaken. That no matter what is going on around us, the joy and peace and contentment that Jesus has put in us can never be rattled. No matter what. It's a good word, isn't it? We have that available to us. And all we have to do is start realizing, okay, where am I building on sand? You know the story, you know the parable Jesus tells? Don't build on sand, build on the solid rock, which is Christ. Where am I building on sand? Where am I seeking approval from others for security? Or where... Wow. <laughs> Is everybody good? <laughs> Is that my fault? Okay. Let's give it up for Caleb. He's an amazing sound person. Huh. So where was I? <laughs> okay. Security. Um, I want to read you a verse. This is out of Galatians 5. I really love this verse. This is Paul speaking to the Galatian church. Here we go. For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. The reason Jesus freed us is so we could be free. Now, I'm pretty sure that Paul wasn't just being redundant here. What I think Paul was referencing was the, a story that him and all the Jewish people have been hearing since their youth. A story of how their ancestors were rescued from slavery from Egypt, brought out in a dramatic, powerful way. Brought out from cruel, just a really oppressive situation. Only to declare out to God a couple of months after We wish we could go back to Egypt. We don't want to be out here and free. We want to go back into our slavery. Why? Oh, because, you know, there's not enough meat out here to eat. Or we don't have a king. We don't have a city. Paul was obviously referencing that concept. And what I found for myself a lot of times is that Jesus will free me from something. And I will live in that freedom for a while. But eventually, I'll just start re-enslaving myself to something else not too long after. And that comes in a specific way. Paul says here, for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, this is key, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What does that look like? What is he talking about here to submit again to a yoke of slavery? Well, There's a number of ways you could explain that, but here's how I like to understand it. If I were to say something like this, Jesus, I love you, and I thank you that all I need in life to be happy is relationship with you and approval from my friends. Or or something like, I can really be happy and at peace and content if I have Jesus and a good career. 
Or if I have Jesus and I know what my purpose is in life. You see, we all have a, a, a general purpose in the kingdom from God, but there are specific ones that he reveals to us sometimes after a period of time and there's waiting and there can be discontent there. If I just, Lord, I would be at peace and happy and totally devoted to you if I had my relationship with you and a relationship with someone else. It's these ands that are the yokes of slavery that we are putting back on ourselves after Jesus took it off. Truth is, we don't need anything else but Jesus for any part of our life. He fulfills every single desire and every need. If we're feeling like we need approval from others, he is the answer. If we're feeling rejected, he is the answer. He fulfills every single insecurity. All we have to do is believe it, really. And that really ties in well with the context here of this verse. You see, the Apostle Paul big-time Christian missionary, wrote half the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was planning churches, and he went to a place called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. It was called Asia Minor back then. And he plants this church. He brings them the gospel of freedom, and they accept it, and a church starts. Paul puts leaders in place, and then he goes on to plant other churches. And all is good for the early life of this church. But... All of a sudden, not just here, but in other churches as well, these false teachers start going basically to all the churches that Paul had planted years or months before and start teaching this different gospel. These false teachers, they were called Judaizers. And basically what they taught is that, yeah, Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah, he was God. All that is true. But if you really want salvation, you need to believe in him and be circumcised. That salvation requires those two things. And it's really quite bizarre that anyone would ever believe that, you know? When you really think about it, it's pretty strange. Like, what do they think? That at judgment day, when we're all standing before the throne, you know, those who didn't trust in Jesus, they'd be separated. And then God would say to all, the, all those who did, hey, good job, everyone. Good job putting your faith in Jesus. Women, you can go forward. Guys, we got to check one more thing. <laughs> and, th- and then we'll be good to go. <laughs> you know? It's like bizarre. But the reason I say that is this. In reality, whenever we think that we can find security in something else but Jesus, it's just as bizarre as that. Really. You know? Like in the moment, it can feel like, oh no, this is legitimate that I feel like I need this thing. But really, it's, it's never is for me. Jesus is the best satisfier for every possible craving we could ever have. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And one point I want to make through all this is that we all probably have our ands. Maybe some of you don't. I have my ands, you know, and I, every time I figure them out, I usually go into denial for a couple of weeks <laughs> and then I start to work through it with Jesus and he's teaching me, Hey, it'd be way easier if you just dove right in. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. But we all, some, you know, 
from time to time, we will experience our ands. By that, I mean, if I had Jesus and this, then I would be totally satisfied and at peace and content. But what I, I want to make something very clear. Our identity is not defined by our and. So if, say this is something that young people struggle with a lot, if you just have this overwhelming desire to be in a dating relationship, that is not a part of who you are. You are not one who needs someone else to be happy. You may be feeling that, you may be experiencing that, but that is not who you are if you've trusted Christ. Or if it, it could have to do with fear, you know? Like, yeah, you might experience fear at certain points, but you are not a fearful person. You know, we shouldn't, I, I'm guilty of this, we shouldn't speak that stuff over ourselves like it's part of who we are. Like, I would, I would never want anyone to say who's in Christ, I'm a fearful person, I'm a greedy person, I'm a selfish person. We may behave that way, but we, have been re- we really have been made righteous in Christ. And we can bet everything on that. I don't, you know, it's like, God, my behavior was really strange there. It was not according to your will. It was not the things you've taught me. But I thank you that what I do now does not define who I am. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He set us free so that we don't have to wear that yoke of slavery anymore. We don't have to be defined by our ands. We don't don't even have to live with our ands. We can remove them and find security in every way in Christ. And that's really the better option. You know, slaves, slaves don't have it so well. Let me give you an example. So um, say that I am a slave to Van. Okay? It's kind of true sometimes. No. Joking, of course. Van's the best boss I ever had. <laughs> no, seriously, he is. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. So say I'm a slave to Van. Um, and say after church, all my friends up here and over here and over here um, want to go out to get lunch at the Skyline Chili Nectar of the Gods <laughs> um, and they say hey Luke do you want to come but then Van comes up to me and says hey Luke actually I'm really feeling Gold Star and I need you to go pick it up for me and bring it back I don't have control over my behavior when I'm a slave. I have to do that because I'm a slave. In the same way, we can be slaves to our insecurities. You know that? That it was like I was talking before. Something will happen or something will be said that causes that insecurity to well up in us. And then we'll start behaving in ways we don't want to, but it's almost like we can't stop. I don't know if that's true for you. But that's been true for me many times. That insecurity, that form of slavery, causes me to do things I never want to do. So being a slave is a bad deal. Another thing that's, that's a bad deal about being a slave is that slaves don't get to realize their own dreams and aspirations. They only work for those of their slave master. You know? 
So say that, uh, let's use finances as, as an example. Say that finances is a thing that causes that insecurity to well up in you. You may have dreams and aspirations and visions from God and things that you want to do. But as long as the finances aren't, aren't lining up perfectly, you're not going to be able to lay hold of those. Because things like that always require risk. And whenever the situation will present itself with, take this risk, it might be a risk financially, but you can press into the things you're passionate about and the things you dream about, or take the safe option and don't risk the finances. If your insecurity has to do with finances, you're going to go this way every time. Insecurity through this form of, and it really is a form of slavery, spiritual slavery, emotional slavery. The insecurity prevents us from living out the dreams and callings and visions that God has put on our lives. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He freed us. He died on the cross, took on all sin, made us righteous so that we could live in freedom. It does not give Jesus any pleasure to see us remaining in bondage while we're here on the earth. He wants us to realize freedom in every possible way. So I want to look at a story from the go- one of the Gospels now. Turn to Mark 3, if you want. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. Pretty early on in Jesus' ministry, he recently had been baptized by John the Baptist, and he'd been confirmed by the Father, went out into the wilderness for 40 days, was tempted, done a couple of miracles so far. He had uh, healed Peter's mother-in-law's fever, casted out some demons, healed a leper. And now here we are in chapter 3, verse 1. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Here's the key part. Get this. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So it might not seem so at first glance, but this story is a perfect illustration of what we've been talking about so far. And to really get that, one thing we have to realize is this, that the Pharisees, when we hear that word or we read that word, we immediately think of this really negative thing, of these manipulative, selfish, greedy, evil, etc., religious teachers that kind of, and hypocrites is a big one too. That's what we think of. But that's not how these people were thought of in the time. And moreover, there were a lot of Pharisees and scribes that indeed actually were godly. And when they heard the gospel, they ended up coming to Christ. So 
When we're reading this story, this is early on. The Pharisees were just starting to realize who Jesus was. Let's not read it as then the Pharisees, you know, these evil hypocrites, blah, 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 blah. I think we need to really understand it from the perspective of the people from the time, you know? So maybe think of like Christian pastor leaders that you really respect. Um, you could say uh, Dave and Van, if you want, read it as Dave and Van. Like uh, he looked around at Van and Dave in anger and deeply distressed at Dave and Van's stubborn hearts, you know? But you get, <laughs> you get where I'm going, right? Like these were the examples, the model citizens. These were the teachers who helped correct everyone and lead them along the right path. And that's how we should understand these people. And so I believe that they, some of these Pharisees were actually not so corrupt until Jesus came on the scene. And I think the reason why they were perpetuated into corruption was because of the insecurities. You know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had a big and. They had one huge and, and it was this. I'm content and I'm secure if I have God and religious status. If I have God and I can be viewed as an expert, then I'm secure. And so what's happening in this story is that Jesus is challenging their understanding of God, right? Because they're saying, hey, it's the Sabbath. God would never want anyone to work on the Sabbath. And since healing someone somehow is work, God would never support that. And then here comes Jesus. And he's like, actually, you guys are wrong. Be healed. And he's healed. At that moment, I want to propose to you that that insecurity started welling up. Everyone around saw that the experts of the law, they were the ones who were looking foolish now. They were the ones who were looking like they weren't so much experts after all. And what does it say? It says in verse 6, after that, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the first verse in the Gospel of Mark where we hear about the Pharisees opposing Jesus. That insecurity that we can become slaves to when it wells up can lead us into doing things that we never thought we would do. It led the moral citizens, the examples of society, to start to commit, to plot with politicians to commit murder. And it all, I believe it all started with that and. Because if you really think about it, why couldn't they have been like, oh, guess we were wrong. Good job, Jesus. You know, isn't that easy? Like, cool, someone just got healed. That's awesome. I guess God does do miracles on the Sabbath day. Great. That's not what they did because they found their sense of security, their sense of identity in their status of being religious experts. So, do y'all believe me that insecurity is not a good place to be? <laughs> How do we get out of it? Well, there's been a number of times where I battled through this stuff. 
I've told this story before, but in college, I was super into Christian apologetics and philosophy, basically making rational, logical arguments for God's existence. And I would debate with atheists and agnostics online for about an hour a day, every single day. It would be on Facebook and someone would post an argument and then I would read it and then I'd post my rebuttal and they'd post their rebuttal and I'd post my rebuttal and it'd just go on and on and on and on and on. I can remember sitting in class and like not being able to pay attention to the teacher because I'm like formulating logical arguments in my brain, you know? Like I was super into this stuff. And looking back on it, for me, I'm not saying in general, I'm not saying for anyone else, but for me, that was coming from a place of insecurity. I needed God to be logical. I needed to be able to refute every argument that was proposed. I absolutely could not rest if I knew that there was a rebuttal waiting for me to rebut. I can remember hanging out with friends and like I would withdraw for like 20 minutes at a time every so often because I just had this anxiety in me where I had to respond to this argument someone had put out. And you would think that my intellectual doubts would decrease as I plunged into intellectual Christianity. They increased. That wasn't because of the topics. That was because of my heart needing, having my security placed in God and my ability to argue about him. And so I came to a point where I was just like, God, I don't get all of this, but I love Jesus and I know you love me and that's all I really need to be secure. That's all we really need. And we can say that about anything. So um, for me, one thing I had to do was completely stop the debating, just like cut it off. And a lot of times when people come to Jesus in the gospels with their insecurities, he basically asks them to take this incredible leap of faith in order to get free from that. You know, almost all the people who had their security and money and possessions, when they would come to Jesus and say something like, hey, how, how, what do I need to do to be saved? Or can I, I want to follow you. He would say, oh, great. That's awesome. First, sell everything you own, give it all away. Then you can come. And it's always like they were shocked and went away grieving is what, kind of what it says usually, you know. But he wasn't doing that to be cruel. He wasn't doing that because he doesn't want us to have material possessions. But in God's mind, it would be far better for us to be poor and without, without than to have our security in money. And so sometimes to get free from that insecurity... What's required is a leap of faith. God, you're calling me to do this in whatever aspect. And it scares me. And I feel like my security has maybe been in this thing, but I want to step into a greater level of freedom because I know who I am. So I'm going to take this leap of faith. It's funny that the cards y'all just got say risk on them. It's exactly what that is. Second thing, um, we go through a process of mind renewal. How many of you know that Paul in Romans 12, when he's talking about how we're transformed into people that look more like Christ, he doesn't say, okay, everyone, try harder, use more willpower 
so that you can be transformed. No. What does he say? Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You see, we're already righteous. We don't actually have a sin nature anymore. Galatians 5.24 said it was crucified with Christ on the cross. What we do have is unrenewed thinking patterns. And any time that we step outside of the will of God, it's not a result of in, in our internal desires or anything like that. It's about the way we think. So we need, to, we need to engage in mind renewal. And for me, what that looks like is when, I, when I'm in a situation and I feel that insecurity welling up in me, that negativity welling up, and we all know how it feels. It does not feel good. I stop and reflect, okay, God, what lie am I believing right now that's allowing me to feel this way? For example, if I got my paycheck and I, realized, and I saw that it was only half of what it usually is and some note on there said I've been penalized for whatever, and I start to feel that, that insecurity welling up in me. Okay, God, what lie am I believing? Oh, I'm believing the lie that I'm my provider. Because I'm not my provider. He's my provider. You know? So I reflect, okay. And so then I, after that, what I do is I out loud, I vocally reject the lie and accept the truth. So Jesus, I reject the lie that I have to provide for myself. And I thank you that you're my provider in every possible way. You know, the Bible says that the power of life and death are actually in our words. And you know, when Jesus, when uh, God created the universe, how did he do it? Speaking, right? So when we speak, when we declare truths over ourselves, we are creating faith to, to well up within us in order to live out who we really are in freedom. Mine renewal is the second way. We can be totally free from insecurity. For freedom, Christ has set us free. I'm just going to end with that. And before, we, before the worship band comes out, I wanted to speak a little bit more about something that Lee was saying. So she said, if you heard the announcements, she was talking about how next weekend we're having an all-worship weekend, basically two worship sets with a little, bit, little thing in between. And then we're having worship each night after that until the next weekend where we'll have another all-worship weekend. And the reason we're doing that comes from a story that I didn't actually teach on, but that Van and Dave have taught on about Hezekiah out of Second Chronicles. And if you remember, Hezekiah, what he did was he broke with the past. He broke with past ways of thinking that his ancestors and his fa- actually his father had fallen into. And he, re- he called Israel back into their true identity. And upon that, to celebrate, they all got together for the Passover feast and they worshiped for an entire week. And it says that the joy was so palpable and so intense that they decided afterwards they wanted to do another week and so they worshiped for another week. And we are doing the same thing with this all worship weekend. We are celebrating and rejoicing in the freedom we have received through rejecting old ways of thinking and accepting who we really are. That's the point of all, of all that. So come to church the next two weekends with a heart ready to rejoice in the freedom you have. Okay, I want to release the communion teams to start getting stuff ready. We're going to take communion. For us around here, communion is remembering, well, this is just how it is everywhere, hopefully, remembering what Christ did for us. 
remembering that he didn't, it wasn't a light thing that got us his freedom, that he paid a really huge price for us. And we love him so much for it. And we're so grateful. And we express that as worship in communion. The way we take communion around here is take a cracker. It represents Jesus's body. Dip it in the grape juice, which represents his blood, and then eat it. Worship band, you can come back out. So communion will be available for the first song. Feel free to take it whenever you want. It'll, some will be up here. Some will be back there. I'm going to pray to end. Jesus, you are so, so good. You are so much better than we even know and we even think. So we ask that you give us a revelation of your goodness. We ask for a revelation of your goodness, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Okay, feel free to come to the front to worship after uh, communion. And let's all stand. The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of the world was fallen.